Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Happy New Year! Come on, Happy New Year! Now, for those of you like Pastor Jim that are debating whether it's the true decade or not, I'm just calling it a new decade, okay? I don't, I don't care. We don't need to split hairs on it. But if there's something that feels really good about it, doesn't it? It does feel like there's a, a clean slate. Um, if you follow me on Instagram and uh, Facebook, I, I think I'm funnier than I am, and I realize that. Um, <laughs> and so I shared this picture, and there's this, like it's an old-timey picture with this kid with cloth around his head holding like a, a tooth and on, on the screen door in black and white it said um, what it said it said painless dentist and there's a kid next to it on the brick writing in chalk liar next to it and I, I put a little caption in my story that said when the problems follow you from 2019 to 2020 liar you know, like all these things we'd hoped, and all of a sudden, like, yeah, I guess I still have to pay that bill. Ah, you know, but here we are, and it, it's just such a fresh time in our hearts and our minds where, where really we, we feel like we've kind of opened ourselves up differently than we do by middle of the year or end of the year where we're saying, okay, Lord, is there something new? Is there something that, that you want to do in me and, and in our hearts? And I, I really believe that God is going to do some incredible things here in our church, and at our last uh, prayer meeting that we had here, we had uh, somebody who has a prayer ministry. He's actually a missionary who, who came and he led us in different practices. And, and um, that, that evening, I had been praying about 2020 for our church. And uh, during that time, he, he had said, you know, maybe you should pray for a word. Maybe you should pray, you know, for a verse or something that you can stand on in, in 2020. And I, when I began to pray, I was just in that back seat back there. Immediately, God put something in my heart, and I began uh, just kind of looking and praying and starting to do some research on it. And I, I, you know, when it comes to, like, words for, for a whole year, I've never, I've never done that before. I've prayed about it, but nothing really kind of settled in. So I said, okay, Lord, we'll just go into this year. But this year felt a little different for me. And so I, it doesn't mean that every single sermon is going to be about this word, okay? But I, I think for the beginning of a year, there is something that the Lord has for us. And I just really pray that your hearts are open this morning. Amen? So... To get us started, we're going to start in what, uh, it's Matthew's record of the parable of the unmerciful servant. So let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I love that the church is a, is a strange place that you've designed, that people with different backgrounds of education and, and places from all over the country can, can come into one place and have one agreement, Lord, that you are king. Lord Jesus, that, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us in our place. And, and Lord, that's, that's the agreement, and that is the unity that we have. And Lord, you, you call us the body. You, you, you've given us strengths and purposes in this place. And Lord, I pray that, that our church sees that. I pray that each person can feel, Lord Jesus, and know that they have a plan 
and purpose and that they are part of the body of Christ. And the church said, amen and amen. <clears throat> starting at verse 1, this is 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So Peter, I don't know, maybe he had somebody to forgive. Maybe he'd already forgiven seven times, so he was hoping he could come and, and you know, stop his forgiveness. <clears throat> Jesus, like he likes to do, says something shocking. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle the, began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold who was brought to him. So notice the 10,000 bags of gold is an unpayable amount. This is a debt that cannot be earned back. 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Canceled that debt. I don't know, I've never been owed an amount like that, but I can't imagine saying, ah, we're good. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So now we have less value and we have far less amount. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Since they from your mouth, it says from your heart. Can you remember reading something for the first time in your life, like a story? Maybe you got to the end of the book or, or you a new story of some kind, and it, you remember that feeling in your heart? It just shocked you? Maybe that feeling of, of outrage? That's how I felt when I first read this parable. I, I remember I was indignant. I was so angry. And I believe that, and we see it in the Psalms, that God is righteous and he judges righteously. He is a just God. And so I believe that as we are made and created and built in the image of God, that is innate within us. And so then when there is injustice in the world, we get angry and something comes up inside. And that's what happened to me when I first read this parable. Now, the problem is, is that Jesus told this parable about Father God and the way that he 
sees righteousness and judgment. And the problem is, is that he was talking to you. He was talking to me. And so the moment that I have held grudges, I'll just reflect on myself. I don't want to talk about you. I'll just talk about me. Unforgiveness, resentment, offense that we've taken on. The moment that we do not extend the mercy that God extended to us, we are being violent. It, it is as if, like the, like the parable said, that, that he went and started choking and saying, give me back my money. You owe me. And scripturally, God is saying, if you do not forgive in your heart, if you do not extend that same mercy to others, this is... You, you are pushing out, you are showing and revealing violence. It's as if we, when we hold on to unforgiveness and resentment, that we, we are trying to show vengeance instead of giving vengeance over to the Lord. My wife and I um, recently, it's a kind of a story from many cities away in, in a church and family that, that we've known for a long time. And, and so when people are kind of far off, you kind of just see the social media story. You guys know what I mean? You kind of see what's happening based on what people are writing and showing. And from all accounts, everything that we could see was very positive. Well, all of a sudden, we start just catching up and finding out that that wasn't the true story. <laughs> Big surprise, what we saw on social media wasn't accurate. Weird, right? And anyway we start seeing that what was presented was, was far different. But in order for one person or one group to be able to look super good and, and like everything is going great, somebody had to take the low road. And, and it, was a, it was a pastor that said this to Jaina, and it was, it was really a profound statement. He said, I chose to take the low road so they could take the high road. And I was like, wow, that, that is a, a powerful and godly statement that, that they chose to just let them do what they were going to do. He, and he said, we're just going to take the low road and let them take the high road. And I thought that is a, a powerful statement, and I hope that I can do that in my own life. Instead of going and choking, and instead of going and saying, you owe me, they took the way that the Lord has put before and said, you know what, I'm going to take the low road. Do you know what I would wish, wish would happen in 2020? Probably none of you. This is just my wish. We have, you know, if you've ever had a mortgage, you know that you can start your mortgage one place, but another bank will a lot of times buy it out. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this month, you know, Wells Fargo owns my mortgage or whatever. We have some no-name group right now that, that owns our mortgage. And I was looking at that this week and, and, uh, I thought, man, can you imagine if all of a sudden you opened up your mail and you're looking at your bills and that mortgage statement said, your mortgage has been paid in full. You are released. <laughs> okay, some of you, you don't own, you know, you're good. Okay, think back to when you first took on that mortgage. Some of you were like, man, I bought my house at 20 grand. Yeah, but you were paying interest rates at like 10%. Remember that? It's crazy, right? 
But anyway, can you imagine? I mean, I would be doing the happy dance. I would be screaming. I'd probably try that Russian thing, you know, and do the, you know, whatever that is. And I, I'm telling you, it would be amazing. Paid in full, released. Now, I have not had anything like that happen before, but the closest thing that I had had happen was we were living out in, in Hutchinson, and uh, we, we had a terrible experience with, with that hospital out there. Um, and, and our son, our, son, our youngest son, Asher, was really, really, really expensive. We ended up having a hiccup between um, insurances and all sorts of stuff, but we paid on him for almost 12 years. It took us. I used to joke with Asher and say, someday we'll own you, son. <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> Dad, do you own me yet? Not yet, but someday, son. Anyway, one day I had, this had never happened before or after, my throat started to seal up. Weird. It was, it was crazy, and I was having trouble breathing, and anybody who's done any basic medical stuff, airway is one of the first things you check, right? And I was having problems, so I drove myself to the Hutchinson Healthcare Hospital. I drove there, went to the ER, and they were like, no, we're not helping you. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They would do nothing for me. So, um, and you know, when you're panicking, you're not necessarily thinking, you know, in the right way. So I got in the car and I drove myself 34 miles to Waconia. I went in, they immediately brought me into um, the ER. They had to like use knives and cut open my throat. I had to move my tongue as I was driving just to breathe. Okay, it was, it was frightening. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, we owe so much money for Asher. This is just going to add to it. I can't believe And so the stress is starting to mount, and I don't know what to do. And, and so it's like, all right, well, we're just going to keep going with what we know to do. We're going to work hard and pay our bills. And we ended up getting um, through Waconia Hospital, they looked at what we were earning in a year. They were looking at the medical debt that we already had, and they said, you are paid in full for this procedure. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it, I, the stress that I had, that I didn't know what we were going to do. And, yeah, I know it's an organization. I know that big hospitals, they have to write officers. I get all of that, but let me tell you, it was mercy. It was mercy, and we thanked the Lord for that. I mean, we have so much gratitude. I, I look so kindly. I've been able to go and visit people in that hospital, and I love going there. If you're having sickness and you're in Hutchinson, I'll find somebody else to go visit you. <laughs> now, at some point, we have all been, have been given mercy. Maybe it was an assignment that was handed in later. You didn't understand, and they extended mercy. Maybe you're a speeder, a serial speeder, and, and you made, or you just made a mistake one time, and you were going a little bit too fast, and, and they, they gave you a warning and said, hey, knock it off. You know, whatever it was, you've been shown mercy at some point in your life, and most likely you have had the opportunity to extend it towards somebody else. To be able to let a debt that you were rightfully owed. You can't give mercy to something that you never had ownership of. But you can 
give mercy to something that you had or something that you were entitled to and you released it. And obviously, if, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you understand that this is a screenshot of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you, you get it, right? I mean, you, you're thinking, okay, I, Pastor, I know, I know where you're going. That he who knew no sin took the sin of the world. He who knew no sin took on. He took it on and he bore it on our behalf. He did it so we could be called sons and we could be called daughters of the Most High God. Jesus' sacrifice was in our place. There's this fancy word called propitiation, which means that it's the fancy word for saying it's the appeasement for that, that by doing this, mercy was able to be extended to us for our past and for our, our future sins. That we were and are released from the debts that are owed. And just like the story and the parable that we read, it is a debt that we cannot afford to repay. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why it's called good news. There is also a requirement on us, according to the earlier parable, as Christ has shown mercy upon us, we are to release and freely give mercy towards others as Christ forgave us. It is interesting, um, if someone does something merciful for us, I, I believe that we kind of have this way of kind of being skeptical. Anybody with me? Okay, what's the catch? You know, if your kids come in and they start making you food or cleaning up, doing their own laundry, picking up their room, you're like, what's the catch? What is it you want? There's got to be something. And so, that brings us to the point of, okay, Christ has done all this. We've spoke with our mouth. We've accepted Christ into our lives. What's the catch? Is there a catch? Honestly, the gospel is simple in some regards, right? So simple that a child should be able to understand the basic concepts of it. But I think that we as people have a hard time accepting that it can be so simple. And, and I believe that's why religious practices have be, become something where if you grab something and you, you do something, you've got to do. And, and that's why um, the church, if not, you know, if they're not paying attention, they will become so busy doing because we earn work. We're Americans. You earn, you right, you work with your hands and you get paid for it. And so I think that that idea comes into our relationship with Jesus Christ is that we work and we do, and if we do enough, now I'm in good standing with Christ. And so when it becomes simple to say, no, 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 actually, yeah, good works are fine, and, and that should be a natural consequence. That's a fruit of being a Christian. You do because you're grateful, right? But that doesn't earn you any extra crowns and rubies, Right? That, doesn't, that doesn't give you a bigger house when you go to heaven. And you're like, well, that's not fair. Why am I going to do anything anyway? It doesn't make sense when we want to earn. I want to be the best Christian. I want to stand out. You know, it's interesting. When, when 
God was looking for somebody righteous, he found Noah. He was looking in a wicked world, and he saw the heart of Noah. Noah wasn't out doing amazing things. He saw the heart of Noah. With Job, we hear that God is looking to and fro on the earth to look for somebody who is righteous. He's looking at the heart of man. And if we're not careful, we're going to get bogged down with this idea. And so we try and make things complex. We try and do things. We try and have prayer beads or do some kind of walking thing. And, and we, we try and make all these really complex things we got to do. And that is far from what Christ had intended. And so we know that he loves us. He came because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? So he loves us. What's the catch? Well, there is a catch, friends. And I, and I believe that there's been a gospel that has been pushed because there's been a lot of people that wanted to have those raised hands to be able to go back to their donors and say, I had a million raised hands. Because all they had to do is say with their mouth and then everything is good. Then they can just go on living like they were supposed to. But that's not the truth. And so here's the catch. He has asked us to abandon our love for this world. Okay, great, you want to follow me. Abandon the world. Abandon your love for stuff. Abandon your desire to impress the, the pride of life. Abandon it. I want you to look at me and realize that I am enough. There's a catch in that, friends. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, our life, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Yes, there is a catch. He is saying, yes, you know what? You're going to do your best right now. You're going to do all the things that you need to do, but you need to remember that your future is elsewhere. Your future is beyond where you are right now. What is seen is transient. It's but brief, friends. But there is a future before us. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. We are to take these things and not have them as our priority. In the law of Moses, there is this thing called Jubilee, or the year of Jubilee. And it's in, in Leviticus 25, it, it goes on in, in great detail, and so you can pour your heart out into going through them. Read a couple scriptures with it. 
Um, so if you want more details on it, that's fine. You can do that in self-study. But I just want to point out a couple things about this. First of all, every seven years was called a Sabbath year. So like uh, God created heavens and earth in six days, on the seventh day he rested. In the same way, the, the, the uh, Sabbath year was you work for, for six years, and then God was going to give a bumper crop for you to take Sabbath rest. The land would be able to rest and you would be able to live, you and, and all the people that you provided for would be able to live. But now, if you remember in uh, Peter asking Jesus, how many times are we supposed to forgive? It's 70 times, or yeah, 70 times 7. Well, here we have the Jubilee year is 7 times 7, 49 to 50 years. And this is the year of Jubilee. This is the year that those that 12 tribes, they were all allotted land. Well, technically not the Levites, but they were allotted land. And they got to go back, no matter how many times their land had sold, unless they were in the city, but you can read on that. The farmland was sold. It got to go back to the rightful owners. Debt released. If you were an Israelite and you, were, you had to sell yourself out because of debts or whatever, you were free and clear. And I believe, you know, when, when I think of it, that the year of Jubilee is so much like our God. I believe that it's a reflection uh, of who he is, just to show that mercy, that, you know, we could have years of our forefathers and, and our parents and grandparents make terrible mistakes that put us in terrible situations and God says, no, I'm going to redeem this. You get to go back and start over. I think there's just something absolutely powerful about that. So in, in verse 8, 25, 8, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times, seven years. So that time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the trumpet on the 10th day, the seventh month, the day of atonement. And you shall sound the trumpet throughout the land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberties throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. See, I think that if we were interpreting that, it would be the happy Russian dance. I mean, seriously, that's what they're doing. It's a year of jubilee. This is a year of celebration. And so there are two words that are really make jubilee happen. And we're going to start with this first one. And uh, going to verse 23, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity. In other words, it shall not be sold indefinitely. For the land is mine. God is saying, this land is mine. I gave it to you. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. In verse 28, but if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. Again, freedom. In Jubilee, it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. In Jubilee, people are released in so many ways. I mean, can you imagine being a slave for so many years and all of a sudden you're like, you're looking at your watch and you're like, oh, it's coming. It's coming because I just couldn't pay off this debt. Or land that maybe somebody made some bad decisions and all of a sudden you know that that person is going to have to release, relinquish the power of control of that land and give it back to you and your family. 
I, I, I think of uh, Dave Ramsey likes to say, you know, you need to stop that stinking thinking. And I, I think that, that Jesus gets, I think he would say that too. Stop your stinking thinking. And I'm going to give you an example here. <clears throat> so remember, Jesus, his main audience was, was Jews, um, people who already knew God, but they could not wrap their mind or their heart around the idea of God using somebody who wasn't of a certain class, a certain notoriety, education. And so they, they outsiders just were not allowed into um, just given any kind of um, power. And in Luke 5, starting at verse 27, it says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Now we know that he was named Matthew after this. And Jesus said, follow me. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. I find it fascinating that the first thing he did was become an evangelist. Make no mistake, he got saved. He, Jesus found him, and he gets all of his co-workers into one room to hear the gospel, to hear from the Messiah. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to all the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. There is a time where we need to be released from the idea of what we think God is supposed to do. We, we need to release, we need to relinquish control of how we believe God wants to work in our lives. And I think in, for a lot of us, we've created some kind of a box or a paradigm of, well, this is what God does, this is how he does it, this is how he did it for me, this is how he did it for so-and-so and so-and-so, this is how it works. And friends, when we do that, we become just like these Pharisees. When all of a sudden we see something new or, or something happening, we're going, well, no, 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 why, why would you do that? I mean, think of it. Jesus was hanging out with the lowest of the low. Who does that? Nobody else would do that. And here Jesus did it. Levi left everything and followed him. He immediately responded with his coworkers and his peers. Jesus received pushback for his outreach to those that were far from God. I think that in some cases, some of us may believe false narratives about ourselves. Think, think of Levi. He was told how terrible he was. He was not accepted by his community. He was working for the Romans, getting taxes from the Jews. He made a very good life living by taking extra money and living off of those proceeds. So he was literally living off the backs of his own people while they were under occupation of Rome. They looked at him and his peers as absolute enemies, and yet here's Jesus sitting with them, eating with them, 
drinking with them. And I think that in, in some of our, our cases that we, we have taken on these labels, we've, we've taken up these things about what, who we are and what people have said about us. And I believe, like Levi, who becomes Matthew and an amazing disciple of Jesus Christ, he has to release what he knew or what he thought he knew. His identity was now not of the world. His identity was now being aligned with who Jesus said that he was. Have you believed the lies of this world? That you could never be righteous? That you've done too much? You can't be forgiven? I, I think it's just fascinating that the moment that Levi was called, he dropped everything. Now, at that time, it was like the dream of a Jewish boy to be pointed out by a rabbi and to follow that rabbi. That was a big deal. But let me tell you something. No rabbis were knocking at the door or the doors of people like him. There was nobody. And yet Jesus went for them. As each one of us are a part and an important part of the body of Christ that make up his church. We are stronger, healthier, and better positioned to follow him and to do what he puts before us if we corporately and individually hold on to his teachings, his teachings, and release the things that this world have put on us to carry. Hatred, unforgiveness, offense. Friends, we cannot walk into 2020 holding on to the things of the past. We can't. We can't afford to. You can't afford it. I can't afford it. But Jesus can. And I, I'm, I am pleading with you that if you are holding on to things and things in your past, and let me tell you, I'm not belittling things that have happened to you because there are horrific things that people in this room have had to endure. And it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not even saying like, oh, you could just brush it off and say, you know, I, I'm forgiven, whatever, or I forgive you. I, I understand. But let me tell you something. You carrying a heavy burden coming into 2020 is too much for you to carry. And God never intended for you to carry it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you to start a practice of releasing because we could all use a jubilee in our lives. Now, I'm not proclaiming some kind of year of jubilee. I'm not telling you to go write your mortgage company and say, hey, I'm good. Okay, I, I, I mean, try it. Let me know how it works out for you. We can do the Russian dance together. But I believe that the, that part of learning and practicing of letting go of something is something that is for us today is to be able to let go and understand that we are trusting God far above what we see around us. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.